0: everyone. Welcome back to episode 27 of UH Ventures Health Voyages podcast series. A uh, quick shout out to our producer and uh, innovation strategist, Patricia Kalella, uh, who did confirm, first of all, episode 27. And uh, as some of you who know me can attest, uh, without her, I'd still be floundering around with uh, with an 8-track eight, cassette recorder, perhaps transitioned to, uh, to Sony Walkman. Hopefully you caught us last week when we visited with Dr. Lee Ponsky to discuss men's health and the Cutler Center for Men. Quick reminder: you can find us wherever you enjoy your podcasts or on our website ventures.uhhospitals.org. Before we close out June, we feel that it's very important to honor Pride Month. Pride Month is a time when the world's LGBTQ plus communities come together and celebrate the freedom to unapologetically and uh, without the need for qualification be themselves. It gives us an opportunity to recognize equal and respectful acknowledgement for everyone. I'm particularly proud to see the dedication that University Hospitals has for our LGBTQ community primarily through our Office of Community Impact, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and of course, the topic for today, are LGBTQ plus and gender care services. To tell us more about University Hospital's commitment to this community, please welcome our Urology Institute's Dr. Shubham Gupta. Dr. Gupta is leading our enterprise LGBTQ plus and gender care services. He's the Director of Surgical Gender Affirmation and the Urology Institute's Division Chief for Reconstructive Urology. Dr. Gupta is also an Associate Professor at Case Western Reserve University. Before joining UH in late 2019, Dr. Gupta was with the University of Kentucky as Division Chief Reconstructive Urology. Shubham, welcome.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, David, and thanks for the stellar introduction.
0: Shubham, I had the opportunity to join the uh, your consumer webinar that you and your colleagues hosted last week. I admit to learning a fortune and hadn't fully appreciated the extent of the unmet need in this realm. You've been at UH for about two years. Tell us about your important work for this critically underserved population.
1: So David, let me frame this with uh, um with a few facts that I the beginning of the webinar as well, which I think you'll find useful as well. Um, there are approximately 40,000 transgender individuals within the state of Ohio, that's just adults. Uh, within 50 miles of downtown Cleveland, there are 130,000 members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, within the nation, uh, one in six generations Zers identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, overall, greater than 5% of adults in the US identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Now, why is this important to un- underscore these, these numbers? Uh, it's mostly to, uh, you know, really accentuate the fact that uh, LGBTQ plus community, uh, LGBTQ plus uh, members of our community are integral to how society functions. Uh, they, are our, they are our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our children. Um, they are uh, an important uh, force that drives the engine of the economy. Uh, they are an in, in important force in, in social productivity and in the medical community. Okay, so with all of that in mind, uh, let us look at uh, healthcare facts and statistics. And that's the the chasm between the number of people in the LGBTQ community and how important they are to how society functions and the healthcare disparities that they face is pretty astounding. Um, So we know that uh, uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community are at a higher risk of uh, suffering from many uh, infectious diseases. They're at a higher risk of uh, suffering from many Cancers, later diagnosis, poor treatment. Uh, they are at risk for mental health issues like depression, uh, anxiety, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts. Um, and uh, uh, they are at a risk losing workplace productivity because of their healthcare concerns. Uh, that itself, you know, puts them in a in a spiral, which is sometimes hard to get out of. Um, so all of these are facts in the table. Um, with this in mind, um, it, it makes sense from any possible angle to take better care for the community. Uh, it, it makes sense from a moral, ethical angle. It makes sense from an economic angle. It makes sense from just doing the right thing angle. Um, and we also know, thankfully, you know we are not uh, we know 30 years ago when we didn't know what the effects on taking care of the community would be. So we know that when LGBTQ plus uh, people are provided the right kind of compassionate care from culturally competent providers and institutions, their healthcare indices and and metrics improve, and their engagement with other aspects of their personal and professional life uh, lives also improve. So. Uh, you know, those are those are really the the broad reasons for us to say it is important for us to engage with the community and take care of the community.
0: Yeah, it, it, incredible! And you've taken us from a standing start in in under two years to to some incredible accolades already. Um, the first phalloplasty in the state of Ohio. Uh, you and your team have performed more surgeries than any other academic health in, in Ohio and my understanding in several neighboring states. So that's incredible. Um, Tell us a little bit about the team. Tell us about the challenges you are seeing with this population and how you are leading us with regard to addressing those challenges.
1: So we started to look at care for the LGBTQ plus community, not in, a, in, a, in any silo of medical or surgical care but across the, the spectrum of their life, across the spectrum of their needs. Um, so we said, let us imagine any person of the LGBTQ plus community who picks up the phone or walks through the door and says, I want X. And X could be anything. X could be something as I want my uh, pain to taken care of. X, X could be something like, I want blood pressure medicines for my high blood pressure or X could be, I want gender affirmation surgery uh, with, uh, uh, with ultra niche services such as voice vocal cord surgery or bottom surgery or genital reconstruction surgery. So X could be anything. And we wanted to be the people in the Institute to, to, to take care of that. Um, when I initially came on, there were, you know, there was a, Plethora of, of really uh, passionate providers within the U.S. UH system who were already taking care of members of the community, and uh, uh, what we did was try and unified, uh, try to unify everyone. Uh, so now we have a virtually integrated network of providers from uh, primary care, physical therapy, speech therapy, ENT surgeons, plastic surgeons, urologists, gynecologists you name it, and these providers provide cutting-edge, compassionate care uh, to uh, the population. Um, You know, we we get a lot of good feedback about the surgical services that we provide. Um, We are the only comprehensive gender affirmation surgical program in the state. Um, All aspects of gender affirmation surgery, top surgery, bottom surgery, male to female, female to male, gender non-binary people. Um, but that is just a very, to me, that is a, a small part. I mean, that's great for, like you said, accolades and kudos. I mean, that's, uh, 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 that's a great thing uh, to be proud of. But to me, that's just a very small part of the entire calculus, where we're looking at comprehensive care for the entire community across the entirety of them.
0: Let's just stay, uh, Shubham, with with gender affirmation and that journey for a second. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about the journey, how it starts, how long it typically takes to to work through these challenges, uh, some of the options that are offered by UH, really more from uh, an overarching perspective, your role, UH's role with helping patients navigate these complexities.
1: Sure. Um... It, it's important to understand that um, gender in what gender, what what the terms gender incongruence and gender, gender dysphoria are to have a sense of what we're dealing with. Um, gender incongruence is the sense that a person may have uh, if they feel like they're in the wrong body. So uh, they feel like they are a woman, but when they look down, they see male genital parts, for instance. Um, so that is gender incongruence. Gender dysphoria is distress associated with that feeling. So a subset, a large majority of g- patients with gender incongruence will have gender dysphoria. And take a second to get into the mind of someone like that, uh, that is a terrible, terrible feeling. I mean, it is... It is worse than the worst existential crisis that Tolstoy or Dostoevsky had. Uh, It's a terrible feeling to have. So for people who are in that situation, uh, thankfully uh, it's easier and easier for them to try and seek care um, and and seek resources. Most of the time they'll talk to friends or family members uh, or do some research on the internet. When they interface with the medical system, they're, they're in a very vulnerable position. They're, they're unsure of how things are gonna play out. Um, they don't know who to trust. They have previously possibly, possibly had adverse encounters with the healthcare system. So um, our philosophy is to be affirming and, uh, uh, and really embrace their identity as who's as who they are and help them figure out their journey. From a timeline perspective, when someone calls and says, hey, I think I'm in the wrong body, or someone calls and says, hey, my child, I think, has some gender fluidity, or is gender non-binary, or is gender dysphoria, um, the the first thing we do is we have a program manager slash navigator who's uh, who's phenomenally trained uh, in interacting with these individuals, and she'll do a, a needs assessment. Uh, an assessment of their uh, medical needs, an assessment of their social needs, and assessment of their financial needs, make sure they're in a safe place, make sure there are not any medical exigencies uh, that need to be taken care of first. Um, after that, um, we can then route them to the correct provider. If it's a primary care provider that they need, then we can have them see a primary care pro- provider or an endocrinologist for consideration of hormone therapy if that is what they need if they don't just want to talk to a therapist uh, then we can plug them in with a therapist uh, and we have uh, many of those on our staff
0: being tactical what are some of those most common questions i the the when i when i try to think of the breadth of the issues at stake it, it it's 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 overwhelming for me to contemplate all of those issues uh, I can't imagine this is a uh, from a from a financial perspective. this This must be very consequential as well. And how do we help? Are we in a position to help uh, prospective patients navigate that 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 issue?
1: We are, we are. and and we are getting better at it. We don't have all the right answers. You know you know we're very good at figuring out the patient's insurances and then, interfacing and negotiating directly with the insurance carriers to make sure that many of the gender affirmations services, including uh, surgeries, are covered by insurance. Um, we are very good at communicating with the patient's employers uh, to make sure that they have correct FMLA and all of those kind of things figured out. Um, and there are some patients who uh, whose insurances won't pay for any of these services, or they just want to pay for these services out of pocket for whatever reasons, and uh, we can help with that as well. Um, I, I wish it was—I um, uh, I wish it were as seamless as you know, getting your fo- getting your phone on monthly installments. Uh, it is not, but that's healthcare in general. You know, it, it's an it's a complex maze of uh, things that that, are, that get harder to harder uh, that get harder and harder to navigate. Every year, so we do have that.
0: You shared some statistics earlier with regards to the um, uh, population locally, domestically. You also alluded to the fact that we are unique from the perspective of this value offering in a in a in a multi-state jurisdiction. What percentage of your patients uh, are from out of state? Given the fact that we're one of very few providers in a multi-state jurisdiction to offer. The, you know the the depth and complexity of these services. Is it still primarily domestic, or are you starting to see uh, you know people coming from elsewhere?
1: Yeah, about uh, for my own practice and the and the practice of the plastic surgeon I work with, um, we have a, about thirty percent of our population is from Northeast Ohio. Uh, another thirty to forty percent is from the rest of Ohio, and the remaining, so which is about one third or so. Uh, is from out of state. So we, we have a we have a pretty consistent distribution of that. Uh, I, I suspect that those numbers may change a little bit with time uh, as people get more and more aware of the services we provide.
0: Should, how many procedures are being scheduled on a, on a weekly basis? I know that we you know that the standing start I mentioned earlier, you, the the first, gender affirmation procedure was, was a little over a year ago. I might have that wrong and you can correct me, but what is that, what is that scaled into right now?
1: We are growing um, exponentially. Uh, you know, every, every day I'm in clinic, we book two or three patients for surgery. Um, currently, uh, we are on track to do about 80 surgeries within 2021. Uh, this is just bottom gender affirmation surgery, so vaginal plasties and fibroplasties, not counting chest masculinization and feminization, uh, which is another huge tranche of cases. Um, but right now, we are, um, you know, we are generally booking out uh, five or six months ahead, uh, you know, five, five months in advance. Um, we don't want to get to the point where we have multi-year waiting lists. There are some centers uh, on, on the Eastern Seaboard and, and in California that have multiple, uh, you know, multi-year wait lists. Um, and and a lot of the times, you know, that is, that is construed as a, you know, as a badge of honor or a sense of pride that people have such a long waiting list that those surgeons are so great. I think that's a sign of uh, inequity. That people have to wait two or three years to have surgeries done. So we we don't want to uh, get into a situation where we're asking our patients to wait too long. Um, for that reason, we are trying to look at, uh, you know, other avenues of you know how many surgeries, uh, you know, how, if there are any surgeries that can be transitioned into an outpatient kind of a, uh, of a practice. Can we add more of our times? How can we be more efficient with doing all of these surgeries? so we're we're looking at all of those efficiency measures even as we uh, even as we continue to book out several months in advance.
0: So to avoid that sort of pejorative that, that synthetic badge of honor with uh, with long waiting lists and wait times, how do you see the program evolving in the next three to five years? you know given the the pace of growth that you mentioned, um, the fact that this is still only largely scalable from the perspective of, of uh, in-person in encounters. Tell us a little bit about, about your plans with regard to the next three to five years for the team, for the platform.
1: I have lofty goals, David. We're going to conquer the world. We'll, we'll make the world a better place. We'll, we might even get world, play, world peace while we're at it.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: <Please>. <laughs> or maybe the Browns will win the Super Bowl before that happens. And now you're um, getting
0: ridiculous. You know, let's go for world peace, <laughs> Let's be reasonable.
1: That's right. Um, you 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 absolutely hit the needle uh, on the head. You know, we are scale is definitely something that is easier to obtain when you're at a very small level. But as we get bigger and bigger, we want to make sure that um, uh, we continue to scale efficiently. Um, right now. Um, for, uh, the way, uh, you know, if I were to take a second and, and look at it um, uh, in a very analytical uh, way, uh, you know, we, we are looking at providers, we are looking at sites for providing services, uh, and at workflow efficiencies and inefficiencies. Um, I think uh, right now our workflow efficiencies are, I mean, that's the, the lowest-hanging fruit for us. So. We are working to have multiple iterations of our patient journey maps to figure out where the pain points are and how to make it more efficient, how to make it flow more seamlessly, uh, whether we need to have a dedicated app that we can design to help patients navigate the system, better. um whether we get a, a center of excellence certification, uh, you know, with, with all the bells and whistles and, and the trappings that come with it, that uh, uh, th- that better. So my year one plan is to sort out any rules and get, weed out any inefficiencies we have in a current workflow. That also uh, includes negotiation negotiating with insurances, uh, and uh, we, we want to and see if we can negotiate on a bigger scale rather than on an individual uh, level at individual patient's level. The next two to three years would focus having redundancies built in. So uh, we don't need one of shubham Gupta, we need two or three shubham Guptas. Uh, we need uh, more plastic surgeons, we need more uh, primary care physicians, we need more more mental health providers. And they can be, uh, you know, they can have overlapping interests in geographic regions, but th- that'll be years two to f- uh, two to five that we'll be looking at. And the holy grail, David, and I hesitate to kind of sort of say that, um, is to have a flagship center um, that will not only provide a hub for patients to come in, but it also, it's essentially, you know, putting a stake in the ground saying, you know, we are not just a virtually integrated uh, setup. Um, This is the place that you come in, have your chai latte. That's very stereotypical of me saying, you know, but <laughs> whatever drink uh, you want to have, and get uh, get really forming World Class uh, Healthcare.
0: Well, your your aspiration and your vision is uh, is inspirational and and simultaneously uh, humbling. And uh, we'll tell you from the UH Ventures perspective, you know, we'd love to stay with you on the journey and support in any way that we uh, that we can. And and on that topic it would be remiss if we didn't double click on the topic of of research and innovation. Uh, Perhaps in closing, what if any clinical advances or or other innovations do you think we can expect in the future with regard to to this topic, this domain?
1: I think the future is extremely bright uh, when it comes to clinical and research innovations in this field. The, The reason for that is that it's only uh, been in the last 10 years that academic medical centers have been interested in gender affirmation services. And we do have a very self-reflective view of of looking at things and self-critical to figure out what what, uh, are the things wrong, what are things that we we can do better. Um, I think that in addition to the process improvements that we've kind of sort of already talked about, uh, that will make patient experiences better. Uh, I think biomedical and bioprosthetic advances uh, are going to be uh, the, the the big thing in the next uh, five to 10 years. Uh, we have some ongoing projects and I can't really divulge too much on them of so, uh, certain privacy considerations, but we have some ongoing projects pertaining to that as well. Um, UH Ventures has been a very strong supporter and partner uh, for our services so far, uh, from, from you know, figuring out efficiency models, figuring out journey maps, figuring out patent applications and so on and so forth. so uh, um, I, I think uh, we're going to see a tremendous uh, improvement in deliver care uh, from from at the macro as well as the micro level in the next uh,
0: 10 to 15 years. Incredible. Um, really, really uh, lucky to have had uh, some some of your time today, uh, Dr. Gupta. So we thank you for that. And uh, for our listeners, I know that there are many ways our patients and our and our partners can get involved and learn more. I did mention your webinar earlier. For our external aud- audiences, that will be available online. Um, I, we will also be hosting an internal lunch and learn in June, at the end of June for. UH employees to get engaged as well. Um, And if people want to make note, for general inquiries or to make an appointment, the telephone number is area code 216-286-LGBT. Again, 216-286-LGBT. Or you can email LGBT at uh uhhospitals.org. Once again, tremendous, uh, Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for your time. And uh, for our listeners, we will catch you on a next Health Voyages podcast soon.